welcome to another episode of Farm to Table Podcast KE. Um, on this episode, we have Sheree Williams, who is the founder and executive director at the Global Food and Drink Initiative. On this first episode, we speak about her work at Cuisine Noir, which is the first black magazine that is dedicated to preserving and sharing the stories of people of African descent in food, drink and travel. We also speak about some of the differences and some of the progress that is being made in in sharing stories about African food and how that has changed over time. Welcome. Today we have a guest, Sheree Williams, and I'll give her a chance to introduce herself to the audience. Welcome, Sheree. Thank you, Wambui. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Great. Great to have you. Thank you. Well, I can share a little bit about myself. So um, as you said, I'm Sheree Williams. I am based in Oakland, California, uh-huh. and I am the... Uh, publisher of Cuisine Noir magazine, which mm. is the uh, country's and almost the world's first Black culinary publication that's dedicated to connecting the African diaspora through food, drink, and travel. And so mm-hmm. uh, myself and my team, we've been publishing the magazine since uh, 2009 and really just celebrating who we are as people of African descent mm-hmm. all over the world and the contributions that we are making and have made uh, to the food industry primarily. Right. And for my audience, I, um, my audience is quite global, but, you know, I have a majority of my audience in the African continent. So awesome. if you don't mind, could you please explain to us what do you mean when you say the African diaspora? Yes. So what we mean by that is everywhere in the world Uh that you will find black people right that has Uh descended from african people and Uh so we know from history um the atrocity of the transatlantic slave trade Uh that took many of us to brazil and to colombia and to the caribbean and of course america canada etc and so what we look to do is connect us as brothers and sisters to say Mm -hmm. you know what we may be dispersed to various parts of the world Mm -hmm. but we are still connected by culture by history and by traditions and we look at how those surface uh, through our cuisines Right. Right. That's true. And that's actually very interesting because um, the the same as when we had our conversation previously, we talked about how similar it is that we as black people in Africa, so Africans, um, mm-hmm. our, our diets have also really changed just because of the colonization. Because, mm-hmm. you know, during the colonial times, our diets completely changed from what we used to do previously. So it's great that your organization is working to tell those stories. Yes, thank you. I think it's very important, especially as many of us, you know, Black in America are 
discovering our roots. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's very important. Um, I was at an event this past weekend on April 15th through mm -hmm. an organization called African Ancestry. And they are the only company in the world that helps Black people trace their roots mm -hmm. back to Africa. And mm -hmm. the goal is to trace them back to Africa before the slave trade began. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was great in the excitement of individuals knowing that, you know, their their, their maternal was traced back, back to Nigeria or mm -hmm. to Guinea-Bissau and Angola and just different countries. Um, mm -hmm. And so more and more of that awareness is happening and it's very exciting. And then mm -hmm. we also see it in the culinary industry where especially black chefs are really putting their culture and who mm -hmm. they are on a plate versus mm -hmm. trying to be so French and, you know, other um, cultures that they are not, but that have been deemed the highest esteemed in the culinary industry. Right. And now we're saying, you know what? No, it's not. You can mm -hmm. make any cuisine that you want to make. And that is the cuisine that can reign in your household and in your restaurant, etc. So. Right. That's so true because we find that um, so like uh, Italian cuisine or French cuisine, that's even if you go to, let's say, culinary school and you want to be mm -hmm. a successful chef, that's what's considered as, you know, the best kind of the highest level of being a chef. So that's Absolutely. really interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a book um, mm -hmm. and we interviewed her and it is by um, Diane, and, and give me a second, I'm going to pull it up. It's on Cuisine Noir. We did an article on her. Mm -hmm. Doctor, uh, I always call her a doctor, but she's not a doctor. She's a <laughs> culinary historian, but Diane uh, Spivey, S-P-I-V-E, mm -hmm. and it's called At the Table of Power. Mm -hmm. And it really talks about, um, it's a very deep, but very a wonderful book that I recommend. Mm -hmm. And it talks about how, the when it changed to where, when we as black people were in the kitchens cooking and mm -hmm. doing all of that and then the change when it came into wow this could be sort of um uh, prestigious and mm -hmm. you know this could start to really be something more than what it is and how black people were sort of kicked out of the kitchen in a sense or mm -hmm. not given the rightful rights of what we contributed to the culinaries culinary industry mm -hmm. and that's really what started the erasure of our contributions and overlooking them and not telling the right narrative so it's a very powerful book right right that's so interesting and also and really an unfortunate situation because even not just with food even when it comes to beauty standards um mm -hmm. hair so for mm -hmm. example as as black women you know our beauty standards are you know, the lighter you are, the more Eurocentric features you have, the straighter yes. your hair is. But, you know, the beauty standards are now just starting to recognize that, you know, you can be black, African, have your no normal natural hair. And that's also beautiful. Absolutely. And, mm. you know, the whole thing of whiteness is very real mm. um, in terms of how whiteness shows up in so many aspects of our lives right mm -hmm. and i think 
we as Black people have to say enough is enough so that these industries can change right. uh, um, because that's where it starts. So going back to what you're saying about skin tone and colorism has always been an issue mm. um, in, in our communities, unfortunately, hair. And then when you look at um, various things around, um, you know, again, it, it extends into cooking. Mm. Um, you know, we talked about the hair thing and just as we have just gone as black women said, you know what, we're going to embrace our hair, whether it's curly, it's kinky, it's whatever it is, mm. we are going to embrace it and we are going to set the standard. And and so that is where the power lies. There's yeah. really power in your protest that way. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I, I, I'm really happy that we are starting to make those strides in, the, in that direction. And I'm really excited for the next generation to, you know, come into our world where you know they're black and that's okay and they're beautiful yes and yeah absolutely and you know what too it really starts young and at home mm. and i'm so happy to see so many amazing books mm. um that tell the young our young black boys they are kings tell our girls that they are queens mm. and that's how they should be treated there's books i don't know if you saw the um the documentary or the cute little documentary hair love mm -hmm. that won um various awards by matthew cherry i believe and it's so cute and mm -hmm. how the little girl and her hair and you know it's just that's where this all starts and because i know growing up i we didn't have that that's mm -hmm. we we had the quote-unquote eurocentric whiteness standards of beauty growing up but now right. with my niece with my nephews we can mm -hmm. instill that in them early so that they know and so when they get to an age especially as you know that those years the teenage years that that's very important mm -hmm. that that foundation is there then they know who they are to continue moving forward into being a young adult and then into be adulthood yeah right and also the book by um lupita nyongo she's a kenyan actress mm -hmm. oscar winning and she wrote the book sulwe and talks about being dark and do you know what's funny actually is that we we live in the in the african continent and you know major like majority black um population but you know the the eurocentric and the whiteness the standards are still here as well. So like you said, colorism, mm -hmm. so lighter skinned women mm -hmm. are more beautiful than darker skinned. So it's, it's, oh, it's quite unfortunate. <laughs> it really is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. Um, I feel like we digressed quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's go back to talking about um, cuisine noir. Uh, so could you tell me and also the audience what are the major differences that you see in you know what was previously mm -hmm. uh black food and what is currently now consumed by the african diaspora you know there's a thing where we have always been put in a box mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know you said that we digress, you know, getting <laughs> off the subject, but and not to get go back on there. But I think people don't understand the impact of mm -hmm. whiteness and and how it plays out again in every piece of our lives. And so mm -hmm. going back to your question, you know, again, when you talk about 
consumers mm -hmm. okay so you had the consumers you had the chefs well let's start with the chefs mm -hmm. again the standard was always gotta be french trained mm. you gotta don't don't cook that because you know there's so many chefs that can tell you in when they were in school or they're in their kitchens where chefs will say to them people don't won't like that people mm. won't understand what that is mm -hmm. and so without them even knowing they're already casting this you know, negative perception on food. Mm -hmm. And so as chefs really wanted to be the best in the industry, the best in the kitchen, they right. did what they needed to do to survive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so now you're seeing, you know, and I always say, it might, you know, we've been doing this, I've been watching this for over 14 years. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, one of the chefs that I, there's been so many out there. We know Michael Twitty has always been, you know, putting it down. Andre, uh -huh. Adrian Miller, you know, Jessica, Dr. Jessica Harris has always been talking about it as well. Um, but when it comes to really on that screen, you have uh -huh. like the Ghanaian chef, Eric Ajapong, who was on Top Chef. And he was, I'm going to present Ghanaian food on this national TV competition. Uh -huh. And that was one of the major turning points in my eyes where chefs behind him, whether it was Nelson Armand from who's a Dominican, or you have Chris, I mean, I'm going to say his name wrong, but it's uh, Chris Viud, who's Haitian. Uh -huh. All of these chefs began to see the power in saying, you know what, I'm going to be who I am. Mm -hmm. I I learned my cooking from my mother, from my grandmother, and this is what they instilled in me. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I went to culinary school or I'm working in these fine kitchens, mm -hmm. this was what was set as the quote unquote standard, but no more. Okay. Right. And so now you're, you're seeing what that was and now what it, it is going to be. But also um, as consumers, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up with a very soul food diet growing up and that's where how I was raised. Mm -hmm. And then as I became an adult, moved to California, totally different diets between the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago, the Midwest mm -hmm. from California. Mm -hmm. And so I got introduced to sort of more farm to table concepts, different types of lettuce, different ways of having, you know, farmers markets and things like that, that I never had been exposed to before. Mm -hmm. And so you're seeing more um, Black Americans where we, we love our basics, but we also are open to trying different types of cuisines, just as, as chefs are wanting to, Black chefs, um, cook different types of cuisine. So, mm. you, you know, at the top of my favorite are Mexican cuisine. I love Indian cuisine. I love Thai mm -hmm. cuisine, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, and getting more into Dominican cuisines. Mm -hmm. And so it's really changing that palette. Now here, I would say in America, we definitely know Nigerian cuisine, which is delicious. Ethiopian cuisine is very mm. popular here and right. in America that we see. Um, I'm trying to think of what other um, South African cuisine, very mm -hmm. delicious that I've had here. Um, but it's becoming more and more um, popular and um, and it's exciting. It's very mm -hmm. exciting. So because I will say this and not to talk too long and let you interject, mm -hmm. um, you know, growing up and, and, and still now there's those negative perceptions of Africa, right? Yeah. It was never talked about the food. Mm -hmm. It was always... Um, we've got families starving. We've yes. got this happening. It's poverty. It's mm -hmm. this. It's that. Mm 
-hmm. It was never food conversations of, you know what, your superfoods come out of Africa. Mm -hmm. Your chocolate comes out of Africa. Coffee comes Coffee. out of Africa. Tea. It was never, <laughs> tea comes out of Africa. It was mm. never those conversations. And so now again, as we are discovering our roots, and I know mm. I'm digging more into this and bringing it to the forefront and so many others are, mm. we're here to give a different narrative to the continent of Africa. Right. And you know, something that I find quite odd is um so there's this um uh, campaign that has been going on called uh, my food is african by you know mm. an organization called alliance for food sovereignty in africa and they spoke nice. about previously what used to go on and you know before the industrial age before all of that happened previously within the african communities we didn't have starvation and all of that as the norm because people used to be able to farm the food that they needed to consume mm. and they had this community sort of granaries where they would store the food so that during the drier periods they would still enjoy the foods that they liked to enjoy the ve the, the vegetables the leafy greens the tubers Nice. And so after all of this um, colonization in the industrial age, that's when once, you know, our eating habits and our foods had been changed, that's when people no longer could be able to sustain themselves and feed themselves. And that's when the famine and, you know, starvation came along. So, wow. Wow. Yeah. And I'm so hurt about, you know, we know, food insecurity is such a major issue everywhere. And then mm. my heart is breaking at what's going on in Sudan right now. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, just, you know, I'm just giving any support that I can give to like the world food program, mm. um, because you talk about, you know, them not being able to farm their land um, and then climate change that mm. has impacted them you know sudan so bad of mm. you know the floods and everything it's just it's it's a lot right now and we just we've got to you know whatever we can do to do something about it you know i hope we can yeah yeah it's it's really a bad situation and even even in kenya during the beginning of this year we we experienced we've been experiencing anyway the past couple of years um drought and like prolonged droughts and so i remember at the beginning of this year every time you'd watch the news there'd be a new story about how a new area people are now you know facing famine people are you know at risk of dying because of lack of food so it's a very mm. unfortunate situation uh, yes. people are losing their livestock children are not going mm -hmm. to school because they're too hungry so mm -hmm. it's, it's a really unfortunate situation but um, with campaigns like the my food is african they're teaching people how to go back to their roots and grow the nice. the kind of plants that you know don't require so much and can withstand some of these harsh conditions so let's hope we make progress absolutely absolutely yeah so um so what can you tell us uh working with cuisine noir what has what have been some of your highlights in telling those stories what can you point out as a few of your highlights okay you know 
just finding out how amazing we are as black people mm -hmm. um has just been awesome you know and yeah. the connections that um i'm able to make that has just really enriched my life as a mm. person and as a publisher. Um, mm -hmm. And again, I think most importantly, I've, I've always been a person that, um, that always fought for humanity and what is right from a humanity standpoint, you know, mm -hmm. and just doing right by people, period. Mm -hmm. And so that I see as part of the work that we are doing through Cuisine Noir, um, mm -hmm. because it is, Writing the wrongs of narratives again that were erased, that were mm -hmm. hidden, that were that are hijacked, right? And so, mm -hmm. you know, some of the the highlights I would say, you know, I, I point this out all the time um, in our current print issue, and definitely would love to share the link with um, many of your viewers um, mm -hmm. who are not able to get a physical copy so that they can um, download it. But right. we talk about. Um, it's called Vinchicano out of Colombia. Uh -huh. And it was a, um, I don't know if you want to call it a moonshine, but it was a, a drink uh -huh. that was brought over from those that were enslaved in West African, Africa to Colombia. And, uh -huh. and the tradition was kept up through the ancestors, uh, the generations now. Uh -huh. And so Lisette Martinez and her family work on the coast there in Colombia uh -huh. to keep this drink going forward because it was primarily medicinal um, mm. to help for medicinal purposes, not to get drunk or anything, but medicinal purposes. And so their fight to really keep this tradition going that again was started over 400 years ago from their ancestors in West Africa is mm -hmm. amazing. And so we want to continue to support her um, and tell her her family story because it's uh -huh. important that as she continues to bring that story to the world, uh -huh. that not saying that it won't be told correctly anywhere else, but it was important that she tells that story um, and that people know that. Um, right. And then also, um, you know, I'm excited about what's happening on the continent of Africa in terms of the reclaiming of, of land and uh, resources. So for instance, chocolate, we talk about that and making bean to bar there in Africa versus harvesting the cacao and sending it in, having it mm -hmm. go to, you know, Switzerland and France for the luxury right. chocolate or whatever. We're seeing the quote unquote luxury chocolate being made there in Africa. Mm -hmm. So very excited about what's going on in Ghana with chocolate and Nigeria with chocolate. And mm -hmm. then of course, coffee, um, those that are reclaiming the coffee stories, uh, Vava, mm -hmm. Um, Anguini um, with Vava Coffee and how she's telling that the story of Kenyan coffee and mm -hmm. you know just that excitement there PRTM with Fonio um, and what he's doing there so you know we're hearing all of these exciting stories um, that I'm just so happy and excited about to share um, and make sure that you know our audiences know about them because mm -hmm. again our food stories have not been told for so long yeah and it's it's true because um like you said with the african continent the only food story that the world knows is that you know people are hungry and mm -hmm. and all that so 
yeah i'm happy that we are now able to you know stand up and speak about you know our experiences even with that campaign like my food is african they mm-hmm. really emphasize the reclaiming of even our traditional crops or traditional yes. crops and now even organizations like um the un through the food and agriculture organization are now coming up and you know reclaiming those crops so for example this is the uh, the ear of the millet so we're reclaiming millet which is such a rich nice food mm-hmm. you know and it's easy to grow it doesn't require some a majority of the chemicals that you know and the fertilizers that some other crops require so it's wonderful to see that the even the organizations are getting behind these kinds of projects if you you know i i i liken it to what's going on as well with farming here in the US mm-hmm. and you're you're really seeing you know many of us reclaiming farming especially if it was in our families before mm-hmm. uh, if we came from sharecroppers etc um because there's healing in as a farmer said the soil food mm-hmm. sovereignty is so important and i know many of the story was you know as those that as enslaved people mm-hmm. you know brought here because of our our knowledge of farming right and rice with rice mm-hmm. sugar cane all of that mm-hmm. um and then when that ended we we wanted to get far away from it right yeah. but then now we're seeing reclaiming it because of the importance of food and food sovereignty and how everything is happening and mm-hmm. so you know just as what's being reclaimed around the traditional crops um the indigenous crops we're seeing it's beautiful seeing black people return back to the land mm-hmm. and understanding that story and how important that is i was just talking to a young woman who um is leaving I think she left or is leaving corporate America to become an urban farmer uh-huh. and super, and doing superfoods um she's doing um oh my goodness it's a berry um starts with a g and I'm sorry I'm forgetting it's like g oh I'm not even butcher it but I know the berries that's, <laughs> yes that's it thank you mm-hmm. um but her excitement around being able to be a part of the whole food sovereignty movement that's going on around mm. within black farmers right now um you know the, it's just Jamila Robinson who has the show homegrown on mm-hmm. Magnolia Network and how she is working with families to create gardens in their backyards and mm-hmm. how she left a corporate career to really do this you know it's just exciting um so I say that to say that we're just as a child you know how when we're raised and we can't mom and dad are getting on our nerves and they're telling us this, this and they're t- telling us that. Mm-hmm. And then when we become a, a, an adult, whether we yeah. have kids or not, we go back to seeing what mom and dad said was right. Yeah. And so now we're going back to what the earth was planted, what was there all along that we strayed away from. And now yeah. we're finding our way back to it. That was part one of our conversation. Join us next week to catch part. Please find all resources that have been referenced in this episode down below in the show notes. And as usual, if you would like to be a future guest of the podcast, or if you would like a more personalized conversation, 
feel free to reach out to me at farmtotablepod at gmail.com or on social media at farmtotablepodcastke on Instagram or farmtotablepodcast on Twitter. Till next time.